G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. The story. It was at that time that I realised that if I and a few others could creep around the front of a company, we could get behind this reservoir or water tank where the Japanese were dug in. But it was before we did that that uh, the Japanese sniper who was up on these mango trees must have uh, realised that I was commanding the the company and um, tried to bum me off, but she failed to do. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to a special Anzac Day edition of The Story. Today, we honour military veterans for the courageous sacrifices they have made. And before we get started, we want to let you know how you can read some of their stories at a special website that was created by the Bible Society. It's called theirsacrifice.com. That's theirsacrifice.com. And is full of remarkable stories of courage and faith in times of conflict. One of those stories is our guest today, World War II veteran from the British Army, Joe Mullings. He had an incredible experience where God saved his life. He had just come back from battle and took his helmet off to see the bullet holes that had just missed his head. We'll hear that and other stories as Joe Mullings has a chat with Shelley Scowen. You were a student farmer in Kenya when war broke out in World War II. Why were you there in Kenya as opposed to learning farming there in England? Well, because um, my family has had many connections with uh, with Africa. My uh, uncle went out to Kenya after World War I. Uh, he went out and um, just uh, tried his luck and um, finished up owning a, owning a farm. And, uh, and my father also had... Uh, connections with Africa, mm-hmm. uh, I decided that when I left school that I would, uh, I didn't want to sit on a, an office stool mm-hmm. uh, in London or somewhere, so I uh, went out to uh, work on my uncle's farm at the age of about 18 I was then, yeah. Right, I imagine the climate there in uh, Kenya was fairly different to the climate in England and so farming there would be very different too. Well, yes, in a way it was, but although this was in the what they call the Kenya Highlands, so it was um, a fairly temperate climate. Uh, we had uh, cattle and sheep and, um, and certain crops also. Right. Yeah. Right. So you were there in Kenya when the war broke out. I was, yes. What was the reaction there in Kenya to the war? And how did oh, you well, react? Uh, I guess it was... Um, the reaction was that um, it was a world war, and uh, so there was a uh, Kenya regiment, but uh, I was not a, uh, a resident of uh, Kenya, and so uh, I um, I returned to the UK. Where you did some training there. Obviously, you wanted to jump in and get involved and do your bit for your country? Uh, yes, that's right, that's right. There was a real sense of that, and we do hear a lot of those stories around this time of year where 
for many people, it was just the obvious choice to throw yourself uh, straight into serving your country. Yes, I think it, it was uh, uh, young, young people wanted to, uh, not everybody, but um, but it, it would it, it was quite a long story as far as I was concerned before I eventually got to uh, uh, got to India and Burma. But then I, I think I better not go into that because uh, I um, it would take a long time. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. We've got a while. So you did some training, obviously, in England, and then uh, some other training. Well, I actually, I actually trained um, because I had uh, I nearly went with a, a British uh, regiment. I nearly went to uh, help the Finns fight the Russians, but that all was aborted. And then I came back and um, went through uh, the Royal Military College, Sandhurst, and uh, was. Um, commissioned as, a, as an officer in the uh, uh, Queen's Royal Regiment. Right. Yeah. Okay, so you worked your way up through the ranks fairly quickly. You were a major when you were about 24, 25 years old? Yes, but I, I mean, um, it, it took, uh, that took some time. I mean, uh, it was 1941 that I was commissioned mm. and um, I only became a company commander on in, uh, later on in forty. 4044. Mm. Yeah. So talk to us a bit about the feeling when war broke out. You'd obviously been through World War One. You probably didn't know at this no. stage if it was going to be, uh, I guess, a repeat of World War One. You weren't alive during that time, or you obviously wouldn't have remembered it much. But, yeah, what was the feeling like? Did you know really that it was going to be as big as it was? Well, you see, it, it, first of all, it was with Germany, and then it was, and then later on, it was with Jap, J, 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 Japan, mm. uh, Germany, and and, and Italy, uh, and, and and then later on, Japan. You see, yeah. So um, my, my battalion was uh, had a long history of involvement in uh, in India because it was uh, India was part of the Commonwealth at that time, part of mm. the part of the British Empire, uh, and so um, my battalion went out, uh, was in in India, or actually it was, uh, actually it was Pakistan at that time, right. before the division of Pakistan and India. Right. When you look back at things that you've seen in the world situation since that time, in the decades since... Has it brought back a lot of memories and, and I guess some of those same feelings, like when you see it, that you know, many countries have been on the brink of war or at war with each other, what does that do inside you? Do you have an extra insight on that? Or Well, uh, the fact is that um, we, we have the problem of man's inhumanity to man and man's selfish nature and... Um, Pride and selfishness, whether it's in a uh, a matter of um, violence and um, in the home, and uh, we have sadly much domestic violence today. At that time of World War Two, there was still a strong um, Christian base, Judeo-Christian. Um, base of morality which um, 
with a different matter today from today where you've got a breakdown of law and order in many places. Still, we have in, uh, in Australia, but uh, in Britain, um, Muslims wanting Sharia law, and uh, but you're always dealing with, with man's selfishness and pride wherever it is, whether it's on a big scale or whether it's on a small scale. Mm. And so there's always going to be conflict around the world. I think this whole idea of world peace, well, I'm sure the Bible says that it's never going to happen until um, the return of Jesus, all, that, all of that uh, that's peace. Right, that's right. But I guess for all of us, when we've seen countries on the brink of war, it does have that little bit of apprehension of what does that mean for us here in Australia? And, of course, you've experienced that. What's yes, all- well, it's a challenge. Yeah, yeah, yep. it is. Joe, tell us your story of uh, when you were about 23 years old. You were in Assam to meet the larger Japanese force advancing through the Naga Hills. You were advancing through the Naga Hills and the weather was pretty ordinary. It was a hard trot, even just like that with the monsoons. Tell us about that and what it was like there in those jungles. Well, it was um, pretty rugged and I took over the command of a company and we were uh, in the Naga Hills. We were uh, going up and down over the hills and chasing the Japanese. It was uh, quite ch- quite a challenging time. Mm. Yeah, you were supplied by parachute airdrops um, and promoted to major in April 1945. Well, that happened later on. You see. Oh, okay. That happened l- later on because um, uh, we advanced right down through Burma. Tens of thousands of Japanese were all cut off mm. in in mm. Burma because of our spe- the speed of our advance down through the country. So when the um, victory parade actually was t- took place in in Rangoon or Yangon, as it's now called, we were um, a bit to the north where we were sent to uh, uh, intercept the Japanese who were trying to escape out of Burma into Mm -hmm. Thailand. And while we were out on a uh, patrol one night, the Japanese captured our village, which was our headquarters. And then um, when we came back in the morning, we we were given orders by the brigadier to uh, retake that village. And it was in that that battle that um, I had the experience of a sniper which tried to... uh, bumped me off, and um, by God's grace, uh, uh, didn't do it because the uh, Japanese used a different, um, we used 303, but the Japanese bullets did not have the same penetration as, uh, as ours, and so uh, if the Japanese had used 303, then there's no doubt that I would have, um, I would have parted this life and I would have... Um, gone to be with the Lord. You're listening to a special Anzac Day edition of The Story. Shelley Scowen is chatting with World War II veteran Joe Mullings about his military experiences. We just heard about his remarkable brush with death during a battle. We'll hear more about the details of that incident when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. 
Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax. You're listening to a special Anzac Day edition of The Story. Shelley Scowen is continuing her conversation with World War II veteran from the British Army, Joe Mullings, and he's just about to share the details surrounding the time God saved his life during battle and the impact that had on his life. Let's paint the picture a little bit. You were depleted in numbers. Yeah, there's a lot of malaria and dysentery. Uh, so much of with the monsoon, there was foot rot, there was leeches by day and mosquitoes by night. It wasn't a pleasant place to be. Uh, and it ended up being in the final two weeks of the war. I mean, you wouldn't have known that at the time, but it was very close to the end of the war. It was. And so you and uh, three other men had left the rest of the camp Tell us about why, why did you leave the rest of the camp? Uh, the point is this, that uh, we had two companies, A Company and B Company, and A Company was to give covering fire while B Company put in the attack to drive the Japanese out. So um, it was uh, towards evening and uh, daylight was fading and we had failed in two or three attacks to get the Japanese out. And uh, it was at that time that I realized that if we, if I and a few others could creep around the front of A Company, we could get up behind this um, reservoir or water tank where the Japanese were dug in. That is that is what we do. It's, it's quite a long story, but um, there was a Buddhist temple there and we, but it was, before we did that, that uh, a Japanese sniper who was up on these mango trees must have uh, realized that I was commanding the, the company and um, tried to bum me off, but she failed to do. Mm, incredible. Um, so anyway, by during the night, the Japanese decided to, uh, uh, to withdraw. Retreat. But before that, before they retreated, you had sent one of your own men back because you needed some more ammunition. So there were the three of you and uh, this one guy went back and when he finally returned, he came back with the news that your guys had been given the order to retreat as well. So it was just the four of you out in the jungle on your own. It's not in the jungle, it's in a village. Oh, in a village, yeah. Yes, um... That's right. Yeah, and then you realised that the Japanese had retreated as well. Well, that happened during the night, yes. Yeah. They, they retreated. retreated. So um, next morning we realised uh, that, that, that the Japanese had left. I can visualise still the early dawn, the Japanese packing up their ammunition and their guns and everything and then trooping off across the paddy fields away from the village. So we then had uh, to decide what to do, because as far as uh, our own battalion was concerned, they thought that we were dead. We were either dead or taken prisoner. Um, so we then, um, just the four of us, decided to walk back down through the village, uh, singing army songs like "Pack up your troubles in your old kit bag" and things like that. <laughs> 
uh, because we didn't want to be shot up by our own men. Yeah, that would be a very real danger. So it was only after that when we rejoined the rest of the battalion that that I suddenly felt that... uh, a little bit sore on the top of my head and took the helmet off and uh, realized that um, I pulled the foam rubber, rubber and the leather crown out and saw the holes where the bullets had gone through. So it was only then that um, I didn't hear any voice from heaven, but uh, God spoke to me very clearly, Joe, you have no right to be alive. Your only right to live is to give yourself back to me. Mm. And so that was a, a really a wake-up call, as far as I was concerned. And I had eight weeks in hospital, not from anything to do with the bullets, but from the um, leeches sloshing through the paddy fields in the monsoon. Leeches had um, bitten my legs, and uh, they'd gone septic. And so I had two septic legs, which needed to be uh, healed. And that took about eight weeks. But God used that in helping me to realize, well, to take stock of my life and what I would do with the rest of my life. Yeah, so what had been your experience with God up until that point? Uh, Very easily, when you're in the army or any big body of troops, you go along with the flow. And although I had uh, become a Christian uh, at a scripture union camp when I was a teenager, yet... um, in the army, in my army days, I sort of went with the flow and um, was a bit of a backslider. And um, I used to pray, Lord, don't let me be killed because I'm not ready to meet you. And <laughs> so this experience of the uh, of the bullets and um, uh, and and the helmet um, was a wake up call for me to realign, to surrender my life afresh to. Uh, Uh, to Jesus Christ and to live for him. Mm. The quote I have from you says, the bullets had struck the helmet and spun around the inside curve of the steel before exiting on the other side. The bullets had all miraculously been deflected from your head. We lost 25 men in that battle, 25 of our friends. And as you gazed at the helmet, it seemed that God was talking to you and saying, Joe, you have no right to be alive. Your only right to live is to give yourself back to me. What an amazing testimony and I'm sure you must think of those uh, 25 men that you lost in that battle as well uh, I, I don't know I can't remember now what the casualties were but my second in command was wounded and um, the sergeant who was at the, my right hand he, he, he was killed and I had to uh, when I went back to England one of the hard things I had to do was to confront the widow who had been waiting the whole war for uh, her man to come home. And then, uh, so she was very bitter. And it was one of the hardest things to have to tell her the story and uh, to seek to comfort her. Mm. But these things happen. I think it's something that um, us younger generation can't fully appreciate. I mean, we talk about the global financial crisis and things like that. And, you know, it's very easy for us to complain about what has now been termed first world problems when we just have no idea of the things that you guys went through 
only a few decades ago. But, you know, the perceived problems that we have today just pale in comparison to the things that you have seen. Uh, it must change something inside you when you experience the things that you have. Oh, well, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's life. And, um, mm. There are the same. I mean, here in Australia, we have refugees from um, Iran and um, various countries under a great deal of pressure today. They are going through a similar trauma uh, and even worse than perhaps anything that I went through personally. Yeah. And and we need to realize that uh, with uh, those who are in this country and why strange things happen, like uh, people driving a car into the into into a, killing kids and, and that sort of a thing. Uh, whether it's in Somalia or uh, Iran or Iraq, there are those who go through traumatic situations. And, and have to live with them. And uh, but uh, I believe myself that uh, Jesus Christ and, and and the cross and forgiveness are the way back to um, uh, to sanity and to uh, to living a uh, a life worthy of um, uh, of God's glory. Mr. Mullins, I thought it would be appropriate to finish up our conversation today by asking you what Anzac Day means to you. How do you commemorate Anzac Day? I marched with the uh, a British um, sub-branch of the RSL on Anzac Day and did that every year for, for many years. And um, uh, because uh, Anzac Day is a commemoration, whether it's Remembrance Day or Anzac Day, we commemorate uh, the sacrifice that people made at these times, whether it was, whether it was Gallipoli or whether it was any other war. Um, and we, we do commemorate and thank God for those who have sacrificed their lives. Mm. Yeah. And for the likes of yourself, who, who too, who have sacrificed a lot of other things, uh, you didn't need to sacrifice your life, but you made a lot of sacrifices by yourself going overseas and uh, fighting for us and for our freedom too. Thank you really doesn't seem enough um, for the things that you've done. And it really is a privilege to be able to talk to you today, to hear your story uh, and, in effect, the story of the guys that you were with as well. Uh, yeah. And thank you for serving our nation so faithfully during that time. My pleasure. That was Shelley Scowen chatting with veteran Joe Mullings about his incredible experiences during World War II and the impact they've had on his life. As mentioned earlier, you can read more of these remarkable stories at a special website created by the Bible Society called theirsacrifice.com. That's theirsacrifice.com. It's full of remarkable stories of courage and faith in times of conflict. One of them that caught my attention is about a bullet that hit soldiers' Bible and saved his life. That sounds amazing. Once again, that website is theirsacrifice.com. Well, thanks for joining us for today's special Anzac Day edition of The Story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. You know, your show is sort of about faith, but that was probably the biggest faith steps for us. We had to, you know, do we turn down the, you know, the full-time job with the car and the phone 
Um, do we turn down those kinds of jobs for the, you know, hey, come up here, you know, we'll love you and look after you, but we don't have anything to pay you? Like, do we take the volunteer job or do we take the easy route? Cody Thompson was described in a newspaper article as a former youth pastor who became an accidental millionaire. We'll find out how God has been working in his life and the remarkable way his unintentional business has taken off. Next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.